Hello, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. This lecture will be on the epidemiology of colon cancer and screening recommendations. Colon cancer is the third most common cancer in the United States, and there's about 150,000 new cases each year in the U.S., and 1 million new cases diagnosed each year throughout the world. It's the second most frequent cause of cancer death in the United States, with about 50,000 deaths per year, and that is approximately 140 deaths per day in the United States from colon cancer. Your lifetime risk of being diagnosed with colon cancer is about 5.7% for men, 5.2% for women, and lifetime risk of dying from colon cancer is 2.3% for men and 2.1% for women. Approximately 70% of colorectal cancers are diagnosed in people over the age of 65. More than 90% are diagnosed over the age of 50. And only really one-third of cases are detected at an early, more curable stage. So still today, even with all the colon cancer screening strategies we have, most colon cancers, when they're detected, are already advanced. Most colorectal cancers arise from detectable precancerous lesions. These are the adenomatous polyps. And this relates to the well-known adenoma carcinoma sequence. And so what happens is an adenoma will start to grow, and then there'll be atypia and dysplasia, and then ultimately cancer arising in the adenoma. This takes a long time. Some of the evidence of this is that cancers in patients with familial adenomatous polyposis arise from one of their several hundred polyps. Also, large adenomas often show foci of dysplasia and sometimes frank malignancy. Synchronous lesions, polyps are often seen in patients with colon cancer resections. And then also adenomas and cancer share a similar distribution in the colon. So for instance, there's more colon cancer and more polyps in the rectosigmoid colon. And also it's been shown over the years that polypectomy as an intervention appears to be prophylactic for bowel cancer. So that means that polypectomies decrease or eliminate the risk of colon cancer developing in most patients. The problem is that colon polyps are very common. 60% of men and 40% of women at autopsy have some polyps. Now, these aren't necessarily adenomatous. Actually, most polyps are hyperplastic, and those have no malignant potential. Of the adenomas that form, it's really only a very small percentage of them that will go on to become malignant. And if they do, it takes 10 to 15 years for an adenoma to become cancer. So for example, if at this moment I started to develop an adenomatous polyp, odds are it's never going to become malignant. But if it happens to be one of those small percentage that go on to grow, then it would take at least 10 to 15 years for it to develop cancer. So you can see that colon cancer is a very good cancer to screen for because first of all, you have a pre-malignant condition, the polyp, which you can screen for and you can resect to eliminate colon cancer from forming. And also you have a long window of time. So it's not something you have to screen for every year. You can screen for colon cancer every five to 10 years. There are certain risk factors that have been identified for colon cancer. This would be familial adenomatous polyposis. Those patients have a huge risk of colon cancer. Then there have, if you have a family history of colon cancer, that puts you at increased risk. There are some hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancers. So these are colon cancers that are forming in patients without polyposis. If you have a personal history of a large adenoma, that puts you at risk. Also certain bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And then there is some literature suggesting that some lifestyle factors could put you at increased risk. Smoking, high fat diet, obesity, and a, a sedentary lifestyle. 
So if you did the math, it's estimated that 12 million adults per year are eligible for colorectal cancer screening. So high-risk people would begin at the age of 40 or even sooner, depending on their risk. But that really represents the minority of patients who get colon cancer. Most people who get colon cancer are at average risk. So average risk people, it's recommended that they start screening at the age of 50. It's estimated that we can re reduce mortality by 30 to 50% if we had widespread colon cancer screening. And the aim is to detect and remove polyps, certainly those over a centimeter. But despite the demonstrated benefit of colorectal cancer screening, participation in screening is only 50% in the U.S. population age 50 or older. So you can see it's less really than half of the people eligible for screening are getting screened. So what are the current American Cancer Society guidelines? Well, for average risk people, they should begin screening at the age of 50. And as I mentioned, if they're high risk people, they should begin at age 40 or even sooner. And the American Cancer Society lists tests which they think are appropriate for screening, and that includes flexible sigmoidoscopy every five years, colonoscopy every 10 years, double contrast barium enema every five years, and they also include CT colonography every five years as an acceptable screening tool. So let's go through these quickly. First of all, we have the fecal occult blood test every year, a very simple, inexpensive test to perform. It has a low sensitivity for colon cancer and a low specificity. Basically, it's looking for blood in the stool, but it's still an excellent screening test, easy to perform. It should be performed every year. And there are three prospective randomized controlled trials showing a decrease in colon cancer mortality by 50, I'm sorry, by 15 to 33% just by using the fecal occult blood test. So it's recommended to do that every year. It's very simple. But again, it's only going to detect lesions that are bleeding. Then we have the barium enema, which is recommended every five years. It's relatively inexpensive and safe, and it can detect the larger adenomas and most of the cancers. The problem is that radiologists are not really interested in the barium enema. Low reimbursement, it's labor-intensive. It's really an art, and it, it takes a long time to do a, a very good quality barium enema. And what's happened is that we do so few of them these days that the residents are not really being trained appropriately. So the quality is not as good as it was maybe 20 years ago. Here's a study of double contrast barium enema, use in practice and implications for CT colonography. This is from 2006 where they reviewed the barium enemas they performed from 2001 to 2004. And they were only really doing approximately one double contrast barium enema a week. So that's a very, very low volume. The most common indication was for a failed or incomplete colonoscopy. And when they looked at the readers, they were experienced readers. Three of the four readers were over age 60. They still didn't do that well. So basically only 14 of the studies showed positive reports for polyps and five of those 14 were false positive on subsequent colonoscopy. So I think in this day and age, the barium enema, although it had its role in the past, is not really considered an ideal screening tool. Here's another study showing a comparison of colonoscopy and double contrast barium enema. This was part of the National Polyp Study Workgroup. So there were 862 paired colonoscopies and barium enemas. And if you took polyps, greater than or equal to one centimeter on colonoscopy, less than half of them report, were reported on the barium enema. Then we have flexible sigmoidoscopy, which is recommended every five years. This is fairly easy to do. There's no sedation required. It's safer than a full colonoscopy. It can be performed in the doctor's office. The issue I have with it is that you're seeing less than 50% of the colon. And again, mo most polyps and colon cancers tend to be in the left side of the colon, but still you're only looking at part of the colon. Though it is 
covered by insurance and it can be performed by the primary care physicians. And there are studies showing that it reduces mortality. So it's better than nothing, but it's certainly not an ideal screening study because it only looks at part of the colon. Then we have the conventional colonoscopy. So this is a definitive procedure for evaluating the entire colon. And this is our gold standard. Now it's fairly involved. It requires sedation and monitoring. There's a small risk of bleeding and perforation and death. The completion rate really varies from institution to institution, but usually it's in the 90% range, depending on the anatomy and the experience. Polyps can be removed, and that's the major advantage. If they see a polyp, they can do a polypectomy at that time. But it's important to remember that colonoscopy is not perfect. It does not detect all the tumors, and sometimes it misses large adenomas greater than a centimeter or even large masses because the colonoscopist may not actually visualize the entire colon. So what would be the advantage of virtual colonoscopy? So first of all, it's fast, right? It only takes a couple of seconds of scanning time. You visualize the entire colon. It's certainly less invasive than conventional colonoscopy with a less mortality. It's hoped that compliance will be increased. So that's the whole point of it. It's to encourage more people to be screened by having a simpler screening study. It should be reduced cost compared to colonoscopy. It's been shown to be better tolerated by most patients than conventional colonoscopy and double contrast barium enema. And there are several favorable large clinical trials showing that it has acceptable sensitivity and specificity for screening for polyps greater than a centimeter, but there still are some reimbursement issues that we have to overcome. There are other screening choices. I'll just mention there's fecal DNA. So most colon cancers demonstrate some chromosomal instability, which can be detected in the stool. So they're developing tests to look at the stool for these factors to see as a marker for colon cancer. It's an active area of research, but it's still several years away from being implemented. When you talk about colon cancer screening, it's important to talk about the size of the polyps because the size of the polyp is very important to predict malignancy. So polyps less than five millimeters never have cancer, so zero. Okay, polyps between five and nine millimeters, so these are the small polyps, the chance of there being cancer or high-grade malignancy is less than 1%. Now, once a polyp reaches one centimeter, the chance of malignancy goes up. So between one and two centimeters, it's 10%. And the larger the polyp gets, you can see the higher the chance there is a malignancy. So what this means is that we don't really need to screen for polyps less than five millimeters because we know that there never has cancer. And plus, if they grow, you can catch them the next time. We definitely need to be able to detect all polyps one centimeter or bigger. Now the controversy lies in what to do with those small polyps, so in let's say the six to nine millimeter range. We don't really know the exact benefit from their removal. So colonoscopy, obviously they remove these polyps. Um, it, and we know that if there's a high percentage of CT exams that need to go on to conventional colonoscopy for polypectomy, then the net cost may be prohibitive. So it's gonna cost a lot if we have to send every patient with even a small polyp to colonoscopy. So this was from Perry Pickard a couple years ago, and he makes the point that you know, virtual colonoscopy is highly likely to be both a clinically effective and cost-effective approach to the population screening if only large polyps, that's greater than one centimeter, need to go on to polypectomy. If the neoplastic risks of small polyps, that means if we're really concerned about those six to nine millimeter polyps and we need to send them to colonoscopy, then the utility and the cost-effectiveness of virtual colonoscopy is weakened, and that's still an area of controversy. Now, the AGA has recently expressed the need for funding of a long-term study of the natural history of these small polyps. So they want to know, well, do is it okay to watch these polyps or should we do what we're doing now and resect them all? 
But a lot of this research was done a long time ago, 40 years ago. So this was in the 60s before there was colonoscopy. So all we had was the barium enema. And you certainly weren't going to do open surgery for a small polyp. So a lot of patients with polyps were followed. So this is a study from 1963, and they were following 375 tumors of the colon. Okay, So they analyzed data from over 21,000 BEs, and they had two or more serial barium enemas evaluated a total of 375 polyps in 303 patients. Okay, So some went resected, and some remained under observation. So what they found was that the growth rate for small polyps is exceedingly slow. Authors found that one centimeter was the critical threshold for predicting future growth. Tumors smaller than one centimeter in diameter and appearing benign radiographically may be observed safely by serial barium enemas. So that's what the whole basis of one centimeter is based on these um, studies from 40 years ago. Here's another uh, article from 1986, 400 patients age 50 to 59 had small polyps at endoscopy. And what they did is they brought the patient back two years later and resected them. So they didn't resect them initially. They followed them. And what they found is half of them were hyperplastic. So a lot of these small polyps aren't even adenomatous. 23% were mucosal tags. Really only 23% were adenomas and none of them had grown um, a large size. So none of them had become over five millimeters after two years. And in fact, some of the polyps were actually smaller in size after a few years. Here's another study showing colon polyps. So this is colon cancer risk of large polyps. This is 1987. And for some reasons they were following these patients and they found years of follow-up. So five years of follow-up of a 10 millimeter cancer, I'm sorry, 10 millimeter Polyp was only 2%, 10 years of follow-up, 8%, 20 years of follow-up, 24%. So you can see that the larger the polyp, the higher the risk of cancer, but these polyps grow extremely slowly. So the controversy lies in, can we be following these small polyps? So for instance, at virtual colonoscopy, at this time, you're trying to detect everything six millimeters or bigger, and those patients can go on to conventional colonoscopy. But what we're trying to determine is maybe you don't need to send patients with small polyps, those six to nine millimeters, to conventional colonoscopy. Maybe you can just follow those polyps instead of sending everybody directly to colonoscopy. So in summary, colon cancer is the third most common cancer in the United States. Most colon cancers arise from pre-existing adenomatous polyps. Removing the large adenomatous polyps have been shown to prevent the development of colon cancer. Colon cancer screening should begin at the age of 50 for average risk patients or sooner if high risk. American Cancer Society now includes virtual colonoscopy as an acceptable colon cancer screening modality every five years. As we reviewed, the size of the polyp is very important. Polyps less than five millimeters never have cancer. Those are called diminutive polyps. Polyps basically six to nine millimeters have less than 1% chance of having cancer. Those are called small polyps. And polyps over a centimeter have a significant risk of having cancer. So those are called large polyps. Virtual colonoscopy needs to be able to detect all polyps one centimeter or greater, and these patients should go on to polypectomy. Virtual colonoscopy does not need to detect polyps less than five millimeters. And then we definitely need to decide how to manage these small polyps in the six to nine millimeter range when we detect them at virtual colonoscopy. Should we follow these polyps or should we recommend polypectomy? Thank you.